0: You know, I've known Brian for over, probably nearly 30 years, but he struggled for many of those years to overcome these demons that were in his life. And it wasn't until he finally gave himself fully to Christ that he gained the victory. Brian discovered that though he had gone to church, and he was sitting out there and hearing all these sermons, something was missing He lived much of his life apart from God, but he was able to find his way back to God. The problem is that many times when we're living apart from God, we either push God away or we try to make up for it and earn the right to be with God. And both of those insufficient responses don't measure up they don't earn god's love for us the first would be like a patient pushing a doctor away who is trying to save him i mean that sounds foolish right because god is the solution to our problems but the reason we do this is because of our guilt you may remember the story of peter and andrew as they're out uh on the boat uh one of their early encounters with jesus They had been fishing all night. They hadn't caught anything. They had brought the boats in. They were sort of working on their nets. And Jesus has been preaching. And the crowd is getting bigger and sort of pushing him back a little bit. So he asked Peter and Andrew if he can get in their boat. And if they will take him out away from the shore. So he'll have some room to see the people and preach to them. Of course, Peter and Andrew said, sure. He got into the boat, and that's what they did. And uh, after he finished preaching, he told them, take the boat out into the deeper water and cast your nets. Well, Peter didn't think this made much sense because they'd been fishing all night. And after all, they were professional fishermen. Jesus had been a carpenter, okay? It's like, you know, telling the carpenter how to build a cabinet. No, I'm not going to do that. But out of respect for Jesus, they did it. They caught so many fish. They had to have their buddies at the other boat come over and help them out, and their nets were breaking. And when Simon realized what was happening, he fell at Jesus' feet and he said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Now, Peter didn't feel like he was worthy to even be near Jesus because of his sin. But Peter would learn that being close to Jesus is exactly where he needed to be because of his sin. It's the best choice that a person can make in life. Some of you may be pushing Jesus away when He is trying to come near to you. This is the worst thing you could do. So I want to tell you, don't push Jesus away. The other response is that we try to earn Jesus' love. Again, this is probably motivated out of guilt. But we feel like we have to make up for all the wrong that we've done. We may think that We can do enough good that we can somehow earn our way to heaven. But once again, we are mistaken. So today, we're beginning this new sermon series entitled, One Thing. And it's really the words of the Apostle Paul, who was an excellent teacher. Paul could take some very complex, complicated ideas and sort of bring out a singular truth, one thing that we need to put in our pocket and take home with us. So we're going to be talking about some of these singular truths through this series. And today, we're going to learn a truth that is very powerful. The truth is, we are saved by what God has done for us, not by what we have done for God. Do do you understand that? We are saved by what God has done for us, not by what we have done for God. This is the truth of Christianity. And this is what sets Christianity apart from all other religions. Salvation does not come by our works, but by God's grace. Now, Paul made that very clear in his teachings about grace and salvation. So today, we're looking in Ephesians chapter 2. And we're beginning in verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Now Paul was writing to people who understood the need to be saved, but they didn't fully understand the process of salvation. They had been taught from their past religious experiences that they had to somehow earn their salvation. They had to earn the favor of the gods. The pagan religions were all about earning the gods' approval. They had to make the proper sacrifices. They had to fulfill certain obligations. They had to obey certain rituals and regulations. Even the Jews had found this to be difficult in the Jewish religion. You see, with all the laws and regulations that they had to follow, they discovered that they could not follow them all perfectly. Everyone slips. Everyone fails, every person. If we didn't have the law and just lived by our conscience, you know sometimes we go against our conscience. Have you ever gone against your conscience? Yeah, I think you have. This truth leads Paul to write, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And this is a truth that we all need to understand. We all fail. Because I'm the preacher doesn't mean that I hadn't failed. And you're never going to see a preacher that hasn't failed. You're never going to see a single Christian who hasn't failed. Something needs to happen in our life because of our failures. Again, in every religion, the idea is that you work to make up for your failures. The Ephesians needed to understand that even if they served God and did wonderful things for God, they still could never earn His grace. And this prompted Paul to explain how grace works. So there's two simple things we need to remember about how grace works. And the first is, we're saved by grace, not by works. Very important. Now, some people may say, Well, why do I need to be saved? What am I saved from? As as I mentioned earlier, we, we need to be saved because we are already condemned. Now, you have to think about this. We stand condemned because of our sin. And we all sin. So there's nobody that can say, well, I haven't been condemned. I didn't earn hell. I didn't... Earn to be separated from God. Well, yes, you did. Everyone has. This is the result of disobeying God. We stand condemned. In Romans 6, 23a, we read, for the wages of sin is death. Now, I want you to think about this Uh, If if we had a, and I tried to do this, but it didn't work today, but if we had a marker board, we could put it right here. Wages. What is a wage? Something that we earn, right? Uh, The wages of sin. What is sin? Disobedience to God. Some might say when we do not follow the, the Spirit's leading. So even if we know something good that we should do and we don't do it, you know that's sin. It's not just that we are doing something really bad. No, it's even if there's something good we should do and we don't do it, that is sin as well. So sin is disobedience to God or pushing the Holy Spirit away and not following the leading of the Spirit. And death. What is death? Separation. When we think about death, the physical death, our body and soul are separated. We are separated from people that we love. That is what the Bible describes as the first death. But we also understand there's a second death. And the second death is when the soul is separated from God for eternity. Now, the good news is, the Bible tells us that we don't all have to experience the second death. But if we take that first part of that verse, what we earn because of our disobedience is to be separated from God forever. But... God had another plan. This salvation that God is offering is a gift. It is unearned. And so the second part of Romans 6.23 says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, let's put all of these words on this side. We have a gift. What is a gift? Something that is unearned. If, if I tell you, I'm going to give you $100, I'm, I just want to give it to you. So be out here at my office and clean up my office today, and then I'll give you that. Is that a gift? No, that's, that's a wage, okay? That's something you earn. But if I say, here's a gift, no strings attached. Now, that, that's a gift, all right? The gift of God. Now, we have sin on the one hand, and we have God on the other. We have unholiness on one hand, unrighteousness on one hand, holy and righteous God on the other. The exact opposite extremes. And then we have death on one side, and what's on the other? Eternal life. The exact opposite. Instead of being separated from God for eternity, now we have relationship with God for eternity. And this all through Jesus Christ. You see, friends? Now, Paul did write that we could access this gift through faith. Faith is required, but I want you to hear this, friends. Faith does not earn your salvation because you have faith doesn't mean that you earned what God has done for you in hebrews 11:6 we read in without faith it is impossible to please god because everyone or anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him <coughs> this is required But it doesn't earn our salvation. Faith is necessary. Salvation does require faith in Christ. But the gift is something that even faith doesn't earn. It's a necessary requirement, but it doesn't earn it. Do you all understand? Are we all on the same page? Now, let me make this point about repentance and confession and baptism as well. None of these things earn our salvation. Because I have repented doesn't mean that now I've earned what God is going to do for me. No. Um, Because I was baptized doesn't mean that I've earned my place in heaven. No. These things are not works, by the way. Faith and repentance, confession and baptism are not works that we're doing but they are proper responses to God's love for us. Now, the debt we owe God is beyond our ability to pay. We have messed up so badly that a lifetime of good deeds could not repay our sin. And that is why Paul writes that this is by grace so that no one can boast. Look, if you could do this without Jesus... You could boast about that. I am so good. I am God's gift to mankind. Wow. Boasting comes from a place of pride. And pride is not a proper response to God's grace. Truly, only humility and gratitude are the proper responses to God's grace. Listen, friends, if you could do enough to earn your salvation, then you don't really need God, do you? Let's put it this way. If you had enough faith that God somehow owed you salvation, then you don't need God. If you could just repent enough, confess enough, be baptized enough, then you don't need Jesus. If there was a way to be perfect, then you may be able to earn what God offers you, but you can't. I've shared with folks before about a, an elderly lady I saw in the hospital one time. She was sick in the hospital. I went to see her, and um, when I went in, I was talking to her, and she, uh, I was like, you know, how are you feeling? Are you anxious? Are you worried about this? She says, no, I'm, if, if God takes me now, I'm, I'm happy. I'm, I'm okay with that. And I was like, wow. What a wonderful attitude to have. And then she said, because I've never done anything to deserve going to hell. And I was like, wow. She's missed the whole point because now she thinks she earned heaven. She doesn't need Jesus. She's got herself. Friend, if you could do that, then all the glory would go to you, wouldn't it? Because you were so good. You would be the superhero who won the day. But friends, in our walk with Christ, there is only one hero. There's only room for one person to be worshipped, and His name is Jesus. Amen? So forget this idea that you can be good enough. That you could earn your ticket to heaven. It can't happen. But that's actually good news. Honest people will always conclude that we are not perfect. And we never will be. Praise God. Because now we got nothing to boast about. You don't have to be perfect to receive the gift of God. Praise God. Amen? And since there's no perfect people, the only people that are going to heaven are people that have imperfections. Grace is God's answer to our imperfections. So obviously, we are saved by what God has done for us, not by what we have done for God. Now, Paul would go on to write how grace and works work together. If we are not saved by good works, then why do we do them? And Paul explained that our works are in response to our salvation. We don't do the work in order to be saved, but we do the work because we are saved. Y'all get that? Out of a gratitude of our hearts, we do the work. In Ephesians 2... The, verse 10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So Paul's thoughts were that God created us to do good works. God's purpose for our life is that we use the opportunities that God has given us to be a blessing to other people. We were created in God's image. Now think about this. This is not in His physical image because God is Spirit. But we think about being created with the character of God. We, We have the creative abilities because God put that into us. And God wants us to use all of that to help other people. God's desire is that we minister and serve others. In fact, when we're serving others, we are actually serving God. As Ephesians 6, 7 says, Serve wholeheartedly, as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Think about that. When you serve people, you are serving God. In fact, God planned the good works that we should do in advance. It's important to understand the difference between works for the purpose of earning favor and works done for the purpose of fulfilling God's plan for our lives. This is why when we have opportunities to serve, we should take them. We are serving the Lord. We are grateful for the grace that He has poured into our life. And we want to do all that we can to express that gratitude through the works that He makes available to us. In Colossians 4 or 5, Paul wrote, Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. So friends, God has prepared these opportunities for us in advance. So when they come, what do you think we should do? Should we take advantage of them? Should we step in and serve God? Whenever that opportunity comes, yes. And the main reason we should take advantage of these, the main reason we should make the most of every opportunity is because the purpose of those good works is to make Jesus famous. As we do the good works that God has enabled us to do, God is praised. Now let me say, He is praised if you allow Him to be praised. If you want to take all the credit yourself, you can do that. But you should do your good works in the name of Jesus. When you do something good for someone, you you ought to be saying to them, I'm doing this because of Jesus. I'm doing this because Jesus loves you. I'm doing this because Jesus put it on my heart to do this. The glory should go to Jesus. In Matthew five sixteen we read in the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and do what? Glorify your Father in heaven. That's the reason. In first Peter two twelve we read, live such good lives among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your what? good deeds, and glorify God on the day He visits us. Now friends, there's a fine line between you going out and doing stuff so people can see it so that you'll get the glory, or doing your good deeds in a way that gives the glory to God. And you need to make sure that your life is bringing honor and glory to God. When we serve others in the name of Jesus, His name is glorified. When we are saved, we have a desire to serve God, this God who has poured His grace out upon us. We are so grateful and thankful for this gift that we have a desire to serve Him. Now you may remember the story in Luke 15 that Jesus told about a family. A father and two sons. Y'all remember that story? We call it the prodigal son. But it really is more of a story of a father's grace. The youngest son is itching to gain his freedom. He doesn't like all the rules. He doesn't like to have to follow those rules. He's tired of doing all this. So he goes to his father and he asks for his inheritance in advance. Now, usually, when is it that you receive your inheritance? After the parent dies. But in this case, the son is asking for his inheritance ahead of time. It's like a slap in the face to his father. But his father complies with him. He gives him his inheritance. And soon the young man took that inheritance and he left the family behind. He went to a city and he started just living it up. Spending money on his friends, partying, chasing women. But at some point, because he didn't have a job, this, this is something that young people, y'all need to understand. you got to have a job in order to pay your bills. And one day when, when you don't have a job and all your money gone, you're going to have to go find a job because <laughs> mama and daddy ain't going to be able to take care of you for the rest of your life. you got to grow up. And at some point, This boy's money ran out. He had no money, and his so-called friends soon abandoned him. Isn't that what so-called friends do? When the money's gone, when the party's over, hey, see you later. He's starving. He has to get a job. But the only job he can get is working for a pig farmer, which was the worst job that a young Jewish boy could get. Because pigs are unclean animals in the Jewish religion. Y'all get that, right? That's part of the story. The very worst job he could get, he got. And he was so hungry that as he saw those pigs eating their slop, he was wishing he could eat some with them. Now that's hungry, right? Y'all ever seen pig slop? Oh, man. And it was at this point that a light bulb goes off in his head. You know, there are some points in our life where it just, ding! Brian had that moment in jail. This young man thought to himself, my father's hired servants eat better than this. (laughs) I'm going to go home, I'm going to admit my sin to my father, I'm no longer worthy to even be called his son, and I'll, I'll ask if he will hire me on as a servant. And it was a genuine feeling. He knew he was wrong. He knew he had disowned and dishonored his father. But he was starving. He needed help. And so he headed home defeated, beaten, humbled. Now the text tells us that while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son, and he threw his arms around him and kissed him. Before he could even get his words out, his father had already forgiven him. His father was calling the servants to prepare a feast because his son, who was dead, is now alive again. The father accepted the son without the strings attached. The son humbled himself before his father and certainly his father forgave him. He was not welcomed back because he was willing to be a servant. He was not welcomed back because of the work he could do for his father. He was welcomed back because of his father's grace. He didn't deserve to be welcomed back. But from that day forth, I want to ask you a question. Jesus doesn't tell us what happens later on. Now there's more to the story about the older brother. But when it comes to the son and the dad, that's where it ends. But I want to ask you a question. Do you think that that son worked to make his father respected? Now, think about the culture. As a son, the family name is everything, right? In that culture especially. A son should have the desire to promote the father's reputation, and that would be paramount, again, in that culture. To some degree here even, we want to honor the family name, Well, that son's lifestyle had brought shame and reproach upon the family name and dishonor to his father. But the father still loved him. The father welcomed him home. And now, don't you think he would do everything he could do to make his father's name honored again? He isn't trying to make his father proud in order for his father to forgive him because that has already happened. And isn't that the picture of all of us? Our father has offered his grace to us. He's waiting for us to come home. I've often thought of that father in the story and I've imagined him sitting on the front porch looking down that long road waiting every day for his son to come home because that father loves his child. He longs for his child to come home. There's nothing more important than that relationship he has with that child. And friend, our Heavenly Father is the same. He loves you. Even after we pushed him away, We've left him, we've we've spent it all on wine and crazy living, you know. But he's waiting for us and longing for us to come home. And when we come home, our whole job is to honor his name. After receiving his grace, our focus should be just to tell everyone about the grace of Jesus. So, friend, I want to challenge you. Make Jesus famous because of what He's done for you. In your words, and your actions, let it be clear that Jesus has saved you. You weren't saved by your own goodness. You were saved because God poured out His love on you. Now, live like it. Honor Him. Make him proud. Be grateful. Thanksgiving is not just a day for the Christian. It is every day. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Father, that you did not abandon us in our worst day. Thank you that you did not push us away when we came home. Thank you that you loved us unconditionally. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. Father, we know we don't deserve all that you've done. We praise you, and we want to serve you. Make us aware of every opportunity that you have prepared in advance for us to do. And help us to live faithfully and do that work so that we can honor and lift up the name of Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.